Love the haiku. Love the sonnet. Love the quatrain and the couplet. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. Hello, you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. And tonight we have in our virtual studio Steve Clarkson from Found Fiction. Steve's been with us before and it's lovely to have you back, Steve. Hello. Hi, Peter. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Yes. First of all, for people who don't know what Found Fiction is and what you do, perhaps you could just tell us. So Found Fiction, we're a collective of writers, readers and artists worldwide. Uh, We stage writing workshops, we hire out creative installations and we deliver street literature projects. Everything that ties things together is around inspiring people around everyday places, whether that's through a little envelope containing a short story left in a train station or something that people stumble upon which is something that we do, or whether it's a writing workshop that gives someone the vision to find inspiration wherever they are. Uh, Inspiring people around everyday places is what gets us out of bed in the morning. Fantastic. And if you were listening to Love the Words last week, you will have heard the Found Fiction podcast, which is brand new. So, Steve, tell um, tell us about the podcast. Why and what are you planning for it? So it was just, we weren't probably planning it uh, consciously until kind of COVID hit and podcasts became something that people, more people consumed and more people delivered. And also the theme of look closer, the found fiction podcasts, it's, it's kind of an interview format, but it's also a, a creative search for inspiration. So, you know, me and a special guest will go out and about to uh, look for things that inspire us or could be metaphors for that you'd use in a story or a poem and it, it kind of encourages people to focus their minds outward and look around their own neighbourhood for inspiration, which I think during this period of, of lockdown, and, and obviously we're coming out of that now, but people are still at home more than they were. And it's kind of about inspiring people around the everyday place that is their home and in, encouraging people to develop a creative vision and be inspired around there. So, yeah, we work consciously um going to deliver that until it now seems necessary to be delivering digital events such as that. And we've also been doing virtual workshops and lots of other digital talks and things like that. Trying to innovate, really, um, which I think you always should do when you're confronted with a challenge. Absolutely, Steve. And and so you're going to have a different guest on each, uh, each, each time, each month? Yeah, month. So we're definitely going to do it for the next year or so, and then we'll we'll take a rain check. But different special guests, different creative special guests each edition. Uh, so we had Izzy Britton um, in our first edition, and she's a spoken word artist. Um, yeah, we'll be featuring different artists from different disciplines every edition, basically. And it'll just be a one-on-one show, me uh, interviewing this artist, as we go on a creative search for inspiration. Great. Well, it was great last week. We look forward to the next one. We're going to be broadcasting them every um, every month on the second Tuesday uh, of each month. And where else, Steve, can you can you find the podcast just for listeners now? So it should be anywhere that you listen to podcasts, so whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, Um we're having it hosted on Podbean as well. That's our hosting platform, so you can find it on there too. But, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find Look Closer. If uh, if you just search for it, Look Closer, the found fiction podcast. Great. So the second thing we wanted to talk about was, was to ask you about was street stories. 
um, in Quarry Hill. This sounds absolutely fascinating. So, so it's it's obviously a very an area very rich in in history, both ancient and modern. So, tell tell us a bit about Street Stories, Steve. So it's a, a new street literature project, uh, which is all about trying to celebrate Quarry Hill, uh, particularly characters who've lived in Quarry Hill, past, present, and future. Um, uh, it's funded by Leeds City College, so they've got an arts fund, uh, which I think they've just released the second round of funding. And it's basically quite a, quite a good fund, quite a significant fund to stage something that celebrates Quarry Hill in some way. And I believe other, other people who've got the funding have done things like podcasts, actually. But yeah, our Street Stories project is about working with Leeds writers to identify um, the characters and voices of Quarry Hill, past, present and future, and then writing super short stories to be displayed in public spaces across Quarry Hill. So when I say public spaces, this, this could be um, the digital screen at the front of Leeds Playhouse, which counts as part of Quarry Hill. Uh, it could be one of the many abandoned areas as well of Quarry Hill. So we're kind of using different public spaces to try and inspire passers-by and try and kind of transcend the Quarry Hill environment while celebrating the history that it stands for and the values that it kind of sits on, as well as aspiring to the future. Because Quarry Hill is obviously even in my short time in Leeds, I kind of understand the historic place it is and how much transformation has taken place there and will do for the coming decades, given all the plans and the construction that's going on there. So it's, yeah, street literature project. So street literature as opposed to street art, just words in public spaces. Great. Um, yeah, celebrating Quarry Hill characters. Fantastic. And for people who are... Uh may be listening from elsewhere in the country or elsewhere in the world uh, who don't know what Quarry Hill is and, and what it is and what what has happened there what, what is there now perhaps very briefly you could just tell us a bit about Quarry Hill well it's yeah it's one of Leeds's most famous neighborhoods really um, Quarry Hill and I think it was kind of what people remember of Quarry Hill was the Quarry Hill Flats which uh, I believe were constructed in the 1930s and then dismantled in around the late 60s, early 70s. Um, you know, at that time, there was about 3,000 people living in the Quarry Hill Flats, which was quite an innovative way of living. Now it's comparable to, to any block of flats, but at the time it was kind of revolutionary. Um, yeah, that's kind of, that's what Quarry Hill was. It was all this community of 3,000 people living together and sharing washing spaces, sharing like playgrounds, actual community, which we probably don't know anymore, to be honest, um, as places that we live. And now, you know, that the flats have gone and in its place is, is just a transformed area. There's a lot, a lot of construction happening right now around the Soyo site as well as um, the locations of the BBC building, there's the Northern Ballet, Leeds Playhouse. There's a lot of arts communities there as well, and a lot of venues based there. So it's it's gone from being a sort of residential neighbourhood, like an extreme residential neighbourhood where 3,000 people were living in quite close proximity in the new block of flats to like the probably the artistic centre of Leeds, um, where people go to see plays, they go to... Um, yeah, they dine out, they go to watch the ballet, there's there's all sorts of um, like creative people and, and communities there now. Uh, yeah, and it, it's Quarry Hill, I mean, it's a it's an old quarry as well, um, that, you know, is, is still fairly active. And it, it's just, it's interesting, it kind of transcends time and Quarry Hill means quite a lot to, to different people, it means different things to different people. A lot of people have kind of moved through there uh, if they've lived in Leeds, they might have walked through the site on the way to something or they might have lived there at one point or, or other in time. I, I think the transformation taking place in Quarry Hill kind of represents what's happened to Leeds as well in recent decades, mm. just the, in terms of the transformation going on there. Fantastic. Well, we'll look out for that. Um, sounds absolutely brilliant. Street stories. So when will the first, first um, produce <laughs> emerge from that project so, then? Well, it's all going to go live from the weekend of the 15th of August. So currently we are just getting our 
texts approved by the relevant locations taking part. So we've got a lot of cool partners on board, including Leeds Playhouse, including uh, Soyo. Yeah, there's there's quite a lot of major venues taking part, as well as, as I've said, um, abandoned spaces and just public spaces. But yeah, the 15th of August is when we're going to be actually installing these texts, some of which are going to kind of take up whole sides of building. As you know. Uh, so we're really looking forward to that. Um, yeah, and at the moment we're just kind of finalising what those texts are going to look like. Great, and it seems it seems like a development from another project. It's proper art, which you did in Leeds, I think, last year, involving texts and buildings. So maybe say something about that, if you will, and, and about your um, expansion of that project to yeah. London. Yes, it's proper art. So yeah, this was something that we staged as a, another street literature project in Leeds late in 2019. So you know those um, art gallery descriptions that sit next to pictures in an art gallery. We, we basically wrote those for real places in Leeds as if just implying that everyday places were works of art and everyone inside them or passing through them was part of it as well. So we had big billboards um, uh, in the train station in Leeds, we we had big foam boards sat on easels in the shopping centres. You know, we we had similar to the Street Stories project. We had we basically took over the city and transformed it into an art gallery. You know, based on just these short descriptions that we sat in these everyday places that would kind of touch on the materials used. Uh, the types of people that kind of come in and what they represent and the kind of symbolism going on, the themes that the artist was going for, as an art gallery description would. And we did this last year, yeah, in, in Leeds around Christmas, quite oddly. You know, it was kind of an alternative Christmas trail around um, over 20 locations in the city centre of Leeds. And, yeah, we've now rolled that out and um, London are wanting wanting a bit of it so we're going to stage it's proper art london uh, at the kensington and chelsea art week in october it's exactly the same format we're working with london writers in in uh, we always work with local writers really because they know their communities better than anyone else so um, london writers are going to be writing these billboards um implying it, it you know around kensington and chelsea that imply that everyday places there are part of a work of art it just kind of spins it a bit. I mean, you, you do get a lot of art installations in public now, which is great, and street art and everything, but we wanted to actually just flip that on its head and imply that actually these everyday places are art as well, and you you know, you know, might be inspired to know that. Well, so it's, it's uh, something we're really looking forward to, yeah. Great, and it, it does seem very consistent with fan fiction um, philosophy, I suppose, which seems to me about encountering the extraordinary and the ordinary, the noticing, paying attention to, to what's around, seeing seeing uh, literature or art in in places which you've, you normally take for granted, which seems to be one of the great functions of art in general, really, a refreshing our eyes. So would, would you say that's true? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's, it's all about, you know, encouraging people to find inspiration where they are. Because as a writer and as any artist you know being inspired wherever you are is, is a great gift that you can take for granted and it can really help you out in your life you know if, if you have the potential to be inspired where you are and to, to kind of look around you and actually find something that you can create a story from a song from a poem from a piece of visual art from so that's what we're about is about kind of encouraging people to see things that way and kind of changing and enhancing their perspective of an everyday place um yeah and that doesn't always mean a place that is necessarily a dull place it can be anywhere really it's just playing with that theme of place and, and what it really means and just encouraging people to just transcend their own perspective of of where they find themselves it, and yeah as you say that that kind of is what i see as the purpose of art personally and it's just about releasing it and releasing that inspiration and encouraging people to realise that not all um, art is in an art gallery, not all stories are in a library. You know, this stuff's all around us. And, and as a writer and an artist, you, you do understand that. But I think 
everyone's creative and I think everyone has the capability of really uh, of really knowing that and really uh, seeing the world that way and, and being inspired and, and realising the joy of where we are and how we sort of came to be really. Great stuff. The joy of where we are. Lovely. I like that phrase. Very resonant and good for our times too. Uh, talking of which, Steve, um, yeah, how how's it been for you in terms of this lockdown period, and how are you seeing as a writer, as an artist, as a as a as a, a kind of arts organizer, the future? Mm. I mean, that's a big question. But what's has our function changed as writers, artists, or do you see yourself continuing into the future in a similar vein? It's yeah something I've thought really quite deeply about in the past few months, um, and it's a valid question. I think I think you know if you're if you are in the arts, you are always looking to the future, and you're always kind of in delivery mode as um, as we are, and uh, as any sort of fledgling arts organisation, anyone who makes wants to make things happen is in delivery mode to try and kind of get get somewhere, and, and we were just in that mode for years really and then obviously that covid hit and in march most of our year was cancelled we had a hugely busy year lined up a series of workshops um in public spaces in in schools in museums and libraries across the country we had a lot of festivals we were doing including leeds international festival york literature festivals altair arts trail all of which were postponed or cancelled so yeah, we were kind of forced to hit pause and think long and hard about why we do what we do and how we can innovate our way out of this. And I think hitting pause is is essential because I think that in, encourages you to uh, actually do things better and improve what you do and think about why you're doing it. Um, yeah, so, so we have innovated to the tune of doing a podcast, doing all sorts of digital workshops and talks and things. Uh, you know, it's not been easy. Obviously, um, you need the revenue to support such innovation, and we have been fortunate, really, um, because we, we, you know, we have picked up one of the funds, one of the few funds that are that are really going right now with the Leeds City College Arts Fund. And yeah, it, it's kind of, uh, you know, in every challenge, you've if you're kind of a a creative solution minded person, you're going to try and innovate your way out of it. You're going to do something different you're not going to let something you know sort of ruin what you love doing you're going to want to just make it happen in some other way so uh yeah we, we've just made sure that we've really listened to ourselves and thought long and hard about why we're doing what we're doing we've been inspired by a lot of other people a lot of really good people doing good things we've probably like connected with different people people that we would otherwise wouldn't have even met to be honest and done a lot of things we wouldn't have otherwise done so i think uh if you are a solution-minded person that's a a good thing it'd be very easy to to just kind of bury your head in the sand and hope for uh something to land in your lap but you know you've, you've kind of got to just crack on with it really and um yeah be be more resilient and take inspiration from the many people who are still managing to survive and keep their heads above water venues and artists by the ways yeah and are you optimistic always yeah 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 i always am i mean um i try not to be over optimistic but yeah i i am i mean obviously the we there's a lot of there's a lot of things that the the arts industry needs um in terms of funding and keeping venues open, which which many artists depend on, really, and many anyone who's interested in the arts depends on, really. Uh, I think that I think that's happening. I think I think we've kind of seen some gains to that effect, and some sort of green shoots of of uh, funding and some results there. Yeah, I, I'm always optimistic. I think even if it was a more challenging environment, I think you'd kind of get better art out of it. Art's always going to respond. It's always going to be a way that people respond to um, to society, to their environment, to their feelings. And I, I do think that we are probably more collaborative than ever. And I think it's it's shown us about the, the potential for connection and for listening and supporting each other, um, helping each other out. I think we'd always, we're not going to forget this anytime soon. And I think um, 
I think we'll we'll be bonded for life really after this. I think a lot of things will change for the better, to be honest. Great. Well, that's a nice note to finish on. Thank you, Steve, for talking to us. And uh, remember to catch the uh, the next found fiction podcast on East Leeds FM, Chapel FM, uh, the second Tuesday of the month on the Loved Words. That's, wow, about a month's time. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to that. Um, so thanks, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Peter. Pleasure. Love the cases, love the clauses, love the adverbs and the antecedents, love the words. From ELFM. And welcome to Wordy Birds. Wordy Birds is our regular spot for stories and poetry from writers, wordy birds, scribblers from all over Yorkshire and beyond. In this episode, we have just one item, a short story by PJ Quinn called Harold's Yard. Read, of course, by Pam Hilton. Harold's Yard by PJ Quinn. There was definitely something moving near the gate. A cat? In the pale light from the lamp, it was hard to tell. Her breath was settling on the window. Pulling her sleeve down, Karen cleaned a hole in the mist and stared out again. She'd never felt nervous before. As soon as the agent showed her the studio flat, she'd taken it. Though Harold's yard was dark, it was near the centre of town, down a passage off the main shopping area. Few tourists ventured through the arch, and there were no neighbours to bother her, just the back doors of an empty shop unit and a restaurant she had not yet worked out which in the beautiful jumble of roofs. She was too busy to be lonely, earning as much as she could to buy her own place. Besides, the hundreds of feet she could hear on the main street were constant company. Leaving the gate open made her feel vulnerable, though. With workmen replacing pipes across the yard and then being held up by the archaeologists, the gate into the passageway had been unlocked for three nights now. It was a local regulation, one of the men explained. In a city as old as York, you had to be careful where you dug. And if you found something, you had to notify the authorities. A job could be held up for months, even years, like at Hungate. Hopefully the academics would have a quick rummage and say work could start again. Meanwhile, he and his team would go elsewhere. Frowning, Karen tried to focus on the mound near the gate. Perhaps it was one of the workmen's signs flapping. She could go out and investigate but it was a dismal December night. The door to her building had a modern lock and bolt. She was safer staying inside. Giving herself a mental shake, Karen turned from the window and went back to bed. In the morning, her nervousness seemed silly. She was on early shift and got ready quickly. There was no sick feeling in her stomach, not like she used to feel each morning at her last job. She smiled thinking of colleagues still shaking their heads at her stupidity, chucking a well-paid job just because she'd gone to York for a weekend and fallen in love with the city. They would think she was mad. She would have gone mad if she'd stayed, Karen reflected, or at least been sick with stress for months. Besides, why would she want to return to travelling on the underground, smelling someone's armpit, when she could walk to work in less than ten minutes? 
True, her job at Marks and Spencer's was temporary and paid far less, but she enjoyed it. She loved the Christmas bustle, loved being able to leave her work behind instead of having to bring a briefcase home. More than anything, she liked the sense that what she was doing was real, not just playing with money to make more money. And for what? So someone at the top would be paid an obscene bonus and buy another house. How many houses did you need? Even now, Karen could feel herself getting hot and angry. You've left it all behind, she said to herself firmly. After Christmas, she would get a permanent job, one that used her degree, but she was not going back to London. If she could, she would stay in York. A grey dawn was breaking over the rooftops as Karen locked her front door and crossed the yard. She paused at the hole near the gate It was nearly a foot deeper. The old pipes had gone and water was seeping into the bottom. The archaeologists had been busy yesterday, going down another layer. There were several markers where they'd found things. As she stepped on the boards across the hole, Karen suddenly felt she was being watched. Uneasily, she looked around. It was too dark to see into the corners of the yard, and the mound of earth obscured her view to the right. For a moment she was afraid. Oh, stop it, she said to herself, going out into the passageway. Rounding the corner of a tall Victorian building, she came out into Christmas lights and chatter. It was her half-day off, and for the first time in a week, Karen returned to the yard in daylight. To her pleasure, the academics were still there. She'd visualised elderly men with beards. Instead, a young woman in jeans and a blonde ponytail greeted her. Sorry about the gangplank, she apologised as Karen walked carefully round the hole. We won't be more than another week or so. Have you found anything interesting? Karen asked. Lots! You live in an exciting spot. Do I? I'll say. We found Victorian stuff and medieval pottery below that, even a Viking shoe, and this is well outside the area we expect to find Viking remains. Mind you, these narrow lanes are on the old Viking layout, so I suppose we shouldn't be surprised. I'm Faye, by the way. Karen smiled. Hello, I'm Karen Jenkins. I live in the flat over the shop. She paused not wanting to make a fool of herself. One of the ghost walks came down the passage the other night. The chap leading it was spinning some tale about a Viking warrior haunting my yard. I've never heard that one before, Kay reassured her. He probably brought his party down here by mistake and made the story up. You don't want to mind the ghost walkers. They're mostly would-be actors. Studied drama here and stayed on to lead ghost walks or scare people rigid in York Dungeon. Karen laughed. They scared me and my mates all right. We came for a hen weekend a couple of months ago, did the dungeon and the ghost bus. She paused, wondering how her friends were and whether they would understand her decision. Would you and your colleague like a cup of tea? She asked. That'd be great. By the way, you've got a rough sleeper, Faye added. He disappeared as soon as we arrived. Should I call the police? I doubt they'd have time to come. I wouldn't bother. He wasn't doing any harm, just sheltering round the back of the mound. I never know what to do when I pass them, Karen admitted. I always feel guilty, but the papers say you shouldn't give. They have shelters to go to, Faye insisted. Giving money only encourages begging. As twilight settled back into the yard, Karen watched the gate carefully. Even so... She missed seeing the man enter. By the time she spotted him, he was curled against the back of the mound, his battered trainers catching the light. His pale, thin face was framed by a baseball cap. His trousers were held up by a woman's scarf. He looked about fifty, but could have been much younger, worn out by drink and years of sleeping rough. His right hand clutched the inevitable bottle. Urgently, Karen wondered what to do, but he seemed to be asleep, and she felt sorry for him. She didn't fancy passing him, but so long as he left before she went to work, she could put up with him staying.
The following morning, Karen shone her torch across the yard before she set off. To her relief, the man had gone. A stale smell hung round the area. Going back into the kitchen, she filled a bowl of water and threw it over the soil. For four more nights, the man took up his pitch against the mound, sometimes holding a cardboard cup of coffee someone had given him, sometimes a bottle. In the run-up to Christmas, Karen was working long hours and unable to meet anyone but her colleagues. It was good to see another human being, even if he was a rough sleeper. Now that the excitement of giving up her job and moving to York was fading, she was beginning to feel lonely. She began thinking of the stranger as Fred and looking for him each night. All the same, on the Thursday, when M&S closed late, she asked one of her male colleagues to walk back with her. It was well after nine. A dank grey mist had descended, chilling the bones, and the lamp in the passageway scarcely reached the yard. It was impossible to see if the man was back or not. Her colleague advised getting him moved on, but Karen replied that he'd probably left and wasn't any trouble in any case. Still, she was grateful to be seen right to her door. As she was getting ready for bed, the mist lifted a little. Staring out of her window, Karen saw the rough sleeper was back in his usual place, though wrapped so tightly in a blanket she couldn't see his face. She hated to think of him crouched against the mound, cold and hungry. When she left for work the following morning, Karen placed a chocolate bar on the mound. By evening, it had gone. All that weekend and the following week, the hole remained beside the gate, getting deeper and wider. It would be recorded and photographed on Friday, Faye said, then backfilled the following Monday. After that, the workmen would return, lay their pipes and make good, though with Christmas almost on them, that might be in the new year. For some reason, Karen felt reluctant to tell Faye that the rough sleeper was still around, or that she felt so sorry for him, she regularly left food and cups of tea for him. Put into words, it sounded a silly thing to do. At last the Monday arrived and the mound of soil was loosely packed back in the hole, ready for the workmen to return. Karen wished the archaeologists goodbye, catching them just as they were leaving. She gave a sigh of relief as she prepared to lock the gate to the passageway. Then she paused, sensing a movement. The man was still in the yard, she was certain, though she couldn't see him. "'I'm locking the gate in half an hour, Fred,' she called. "'Go, or you'll get shut in.' There was a grunt of thanks from the far corner. Then Karen went into her flat, bolting the door behind her. All that evening Karen watched from her window, hoping to see the man leave. There was no sign of movement. The mist had settled again, a fine drizzle soaking the yard. Eating her meal as she stood there, she couldn't decide what to do. Should she lock the gate and risk shutting Fred in? If he thought she was imprisoning him, he might be awkward, angry perhaps. Should she call the police and tell them someone might be in the yard or might have gone? She would sound a fool. Finally, she left the gate unlocked another night. The following day, Karen didn't have to be at work until 11am. She decided to have a good look round the yard in daylight, having first checked from her window that it was empty. She looked carefully around the filled hole and where the mound of soil had been. There was nothing. No fag ends or cartons, no empty bottles, nothing to suggest a man had sheltered there. Even the smell had gone. Puzzled, Karen crossed to the corner where she'd heard the man speak, but there was no sign of him there either. Something on the soil glinted in the winter sunlight. Intrigued, Karen picked it up. The object was small and hard, crusted in dirt. She took it back to her kitchen and gently cleaned it. A shape gradually appeared, like a little hammer. A brooch, she thought, feeling for a pin at the back. 
It must be a modern trinket, she decided, dropped by someone putting rubbish in the bins. But when she dabbed the metal dry with a sheet of kitchen towel, she paused and surprised. It looked like silver, though darkened with age. Oh, law, she said as she cleaned the back more carefully. It is silver. She was holding a very old brooch in the shape of a hammer. How did the archaeologists miss this, she wondered. It must have been swept aside when they cleared the soil. What should she do with it? He looked very old. Viking, perhaps. She would have to take it to the museum as soon as possible. There was just time before work. Quickly, Karen wrapped the brooch in a tissue and put it in a handbag. Then she went into the yard. For a second, she paused beside the remains of the mound. Thank you, Fred. Or is it Harold? she said aloud. But I can't possibly keep it. Feeling suddenly foolish, she unlocked the gate. Thank you so much to Pam Hilton for reading that story by PJ Quinn, Harold's Yard. All these Wordy Bird episodes are up on the ELFM website, Chapel FM Art Centre website. Have a look, check it out if you're online, that is. Um, in the meantime, we'll be back soon for Wordy Birds. Happy listening, happy writing, happy reading. Love the nouns, love the pronouns, impersonal and personal. Love the words from ELFM. Good evening, you're listening to Love the words here on East Leeds FM, and I'm talking to Irene Lofthouse, the writer, scriptwriter, workshop leader, teacher. She does many things. Uh, hello, Irene. How are you doing? Hello, Peter. I'm fine. How's yourself? I'm very well, thank you very much. Yes. So you've been uh, involved in a fascinating project called Twenty Six Characters. Uh, I've only just heard of through you. Uh, looks brilliant so tell us first of all what 26 characters is and then we'll hear how you got involved well 26 characters is a, a collective of writers creatives artists designers copywriters marketed pe people basically who work with words um and it was created it's nearly um 10 years ago now 11 years ago now i think um by people who uh, were working within the kind of marketing industry, um, but telling stories about brands, because obviously telling stories, we're more interested in that than the main marketing spiel, um, but realised that they could actually use that approach to look at very specific things. Um, so that might be raising awareness of something like the Foundling Museum. Um, it might be just exploring different ideas. Shakespeare, bring it up to date, or a response to Roald Dahl, um, and the creatives, the people that are involved, we do it all remotely, we're volunteers, and there are people from across the world that are involved. Sounds absolutely brilliant. So it really, it's, it's, it's a kind of uh, celebration of language and of words, both in commercial contexts and also in, in the context of literature, would you say, right across? And you say everybody's a volunteer, so people have their their jobs, as it were, whether it might be in industry or in business or in the arts. 
and they just do this for the love. Uh, absolutely, yes. Mm. We, um, uh, from the arts, from uh, lots of freelancers um, who are involved as well, and basically somebody comes up with an idea, uh, it gets thrown around a little bit uh, to decide whether or not that's an interesting idea. Um, so, for example, the Armistice 100, 26 Armistice, um, obviously that was a really important part of our history and, and heritage of First World War. Um, so we got involved with that with the Imperial War Museum. So sometimes we were partnered up with and sponsored by um, organisations to bring stories to the fore that potentially people may not be aware of um, to, to celebrate some of those hidden, hidden stories. Sounds wonderful. Very much up your street too. I know you do a lot of, a lot of that lifting, lifting stories from uh, the shadows, really. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much into hidden history and secret stories because there are, um, being a bit of history kind of buff, um, which is full of stories, um, absolutely. Um, but those that um, at one point people may know very, very well, again, like, say, First World War, um, it may have been some of the women's history, it may have been, you know, that men were involved in suffrage, you know, that supported the suffrage movement. Um, it may be just quirky ones, uh, like um, a landlady who decided to walk all around uh, the back of her pub um, to beat a world record, this is back in the 1890s, um, and that's what she did, um, and raised a lot of money. Um, and it's just things like that that just take my imagination to uncover and with 26 characters there's some if you like a bit more substance to that and lots of different perceptions and takes on uh, a particular topic and given the fact that 26 characters is very much about collaboration what's been your favorite collaboration so far oh gosh hard questions peter um <laughs> i did really really enjoy doing the 26 twits which was um, <laughs> Rosal, um, it was an anniversary, and the writers involved with that were invited to choose a piece of uh, Rosal's poetry or a story and to reimagine, but also to work with a young artist to do a visual. So I chose uh, Mary Mary, quite contrary, uh, and retold the story from a, a child's point of view. Um, and my great nephew, uh, Leo, uh, he illustrated with the triptych the visuals of the story and then the stories, the poems, the visuals uh, not only went up on the website 26 tweets um, in terms of 26 characters but also uh, were exhibited um, at the Free Word uh, Centre in London um, and I really enjoyed that because that was quite a collaborative bit to, to do something in, with my great nephew as well um, but there's, there's so many of them that I've just the research of finding things out well, like the 26 trees I was paired with a pair um, <laughs> and I had no idea about the, um, the association with fertility rights um, or the fact that the pair genus is actually um, declining so rapidly um, they used you know, be lots and lots of wild pairs, right back to Socrates and the ancients in China. Um, that you shouldn't split a pair up when you're with friends because that indicates that you're going to separate. So you should never do that. Mm. Um, but yeah, that trying to find uh, pear trees around was was really quite difficult. Um, and I remember pears as my dessert on a Sunday afternoon. Mm. So I was really taken with that because it had so many childhood associations from us. And these collaborations, they, they sound fantastic. Do do other people within 26 characters feed back on them, comment on them? Are you, you, do, you, do you know that people, uh, apart from working with each other and doing the thing, uh, actually read or look at the other people's stuff? Oh, yeah, very much so. Um, we, for, for each project, there's also editors, um, and I'm currently an editor on the 26 Weeks project, which is where um, writers have chosen a partner to have a chat to about the lockdown um, and the impact on people's lives.
um, so I'm actually writing. My uh, partner is actually my neighbour, who's um, a midwife in Bradford. So the impact of the lockdown on men, um, and as as it goes through until the easing, etc., and then afterwards. Um, but I'm also an editor for for other writers as well. Um, so I get to look at their work and comment on their work, and I have an editor for mine who also comments on mine. And obviously, when things go up on the website, the 26 characters website, um, we do all have a look at each other's work. Um, and sometimes the work becomes part of um, a book. So with 26 Trees, we worked with the Woodland Trust, and that's become the anthology, the understory. Hmm. And 26 Armistice became Armistice 100 um, in association with Imperial War Museum. Um, so not only do we writers in 26 and um, the designers and the web people, editors, etc., comment on the work, once it's kind of out there, people who are reading them as well, they comment via Twitter, via Facebook, um, or via email to us individually, which is brilliant to see how the work gets out there. Absolutely. And, I mean, the, the, the COVID collaboration you're doing with the midwife next door, that sounds fascinating. So, it, obviously, the collaboration, these conversations are happening between people from really quite different work backgrounds. Is that part of, is that part of, the, uh, of the, the deal, as it were, or is it just you have chosen a midwife to work with? Yeah, I mean, it's um, serendipitously... Um, people who've been chosen by the, the writer do come from a, a wide range of backgrounds. Um, but I, I did choose Lynn next door uh, because obviously Bradford being, because I'm Bradford based, um, with knowing that the COVID situation here, um, the R number was quite large and we had all these warnings. But working within, you know, the antenatal, neonatal um, how that must be affecting, and particularly with the PPE uh, situation, etc., just to find out what that was like, because I, I don't really know anything about that, um, and how the uh, services had to accommodate all the changes that happened for um, what was happening within within pregnancy, mm. uh, and, and, and how did those females who were coming in feel, and did it have an impact on people not coming in because of the, you know, the, um, the thought of people catching COVID or the impact on an unborn child. So that for me was, I, I, I really wanted to know about that. But there are people involved, the artists, dustbin men, um, you know, uh, lawyers. There's a whole range of different people, musicians, um, and, and range from, you know, younger people through to... 80 and 90 year olds great stuff and and is this being this this conversation with lynn is, is it are you recording it in writing or is it being recorded in sound um well we do it in sound to begin with um so that we can explore uh but for our first conversation we had 150 words for the second conversation we've had 200 words and our second conversation our chat was about an hour and 20 minutes so for me as a writer, um, which is another reason that I really enjoy being involved in the project, is I've really got to hone my writing skills to really get the essence of what that conversation was about. Um, so for all of the projects, we then also get the chance to write a longer piece of up to usually about 400 words that accompany on the website kind of our, as a writer's journey. Um, but what I'm doing is we're recording so I can go back so I don't forget things and then I'm, I'm writing it and that conversation, that written conversation um, is now up on the 26 Weeks website along with some pictures of Lynn as well. Marvellous. And is she doing the same for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we're kind of having that conversation between us in, in, in contrast and it, and it is a contrast because obviously I'm in a completely different field I don't have any children. Um, I haven't been going to work. So it's been really interesting to compare and contrast our experiences living side by side. 
and actually seeing quite a different world. Um, so even though we're not recording mine, you know, between us we are recording that, and um, that that's been really quite an interesting take about uh, the travel, um, how it's been, what you're thinking of, um, because as I say, Lynn's working, I'm not because I'm an artist, and obviously all of the things that have happened with performance. Um, so for us individually, that's also an interesting take for us to remember what it's been like. Great stuff, Irene. So what? Uh, where can we get hold of this material when it's finished, and when does it go live? Well, the 26 weeks is live already. Um, our conversations, we're kind of having one every month. Um, when you say 26 weeks, could, could you just, um, just, just clarify again, repeat what 26 weeks is? It is. Yes, of course I can. Sorry, Peter. Um, 26 weeks is the conversations between uh, writers and their chosen partners. Yeah. Um, and there are going to be three of the conversations. Two of them are already up on the website. And this is really detailing from the 23rd of March through to 23rd of October. So we've, we've got a timescale that we're working with. So you've got a really good chance to compare what it was like right at the beginning of lockdown and how that has impacted as we've gone through with the easing, with the advice, um, and, and who knows, because we don't yet, what it will be like in you know, August, September, October. Um, so we're writing those down, and then they will go up on the 26 Weeks website which can be found on the 26 Characters website, which is www.26.org.uk. Brilliant, Irene. Thanks ever so much for talking to us. Um, anything else you want to mention in terms of what you're doing at the moment? I know you get up to all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, funny you should say that, that I have just been this morning rehearsing, socially distanced, of course, um, for a short sketch that uh, Fresh Air Productions, you know then we've done things with the writing on air at Chapel FM, it's a a very uh, short piece called um, Edge on the Ledge, Uh, and it's a a spoof, if you like, uh, a comedic sketch um, featuring Edge from U2. So we've done that as a radio piece, but we're also now just filming it as well, uh, because obviously... I've been doing things, because we can't do things live, I've been looking at, um, Fresh Air has been exploring what we can do through video. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on at the moment. Wonderful. Thanks very much, Irene Lofthouse. Thanks for talking to us. Fascinating stuff you're doing. Keep on. And uh, hopefully we'll see you one day when we're uh, when we begin to come through this. So all the best. Keep well, Irene. Thank you, Peter. Thanks very much. <laughs> Love the control. Love the command. Love the space bar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. Sam's Christmas Pudding by Marriott Edgar It was Christmas Day in trenches in Spain in Peninsula War and Sam Small were cleaning his musket, a thing as he'd near done before. They'd had him inspected that morning and Sam had got into disgrace for when Sergeant had looked down barrel, a sparrow flew out in his face. The Sergeant reported the matter to Lieutenant Bird then and there. Said Lieutenant, how very disgusting. The Duke must be told of this here. The Duke were upset when he heard. He said, I'm astonished, I am. I must make a most drastic example. There'll be no Christmas pudding for Sam. When Sam were informed of his sentence, surprise routed him to spot. T'was much worse than he had expected. He thought as he'd only be shot. 
and so he sat cleaning his musket and polishing barrel and butt, while the pudding his mother had sent him lay there in the mud at his foot. No centre that Sam's lot were holding ran round a place called Badajoz, where the Spaniards had put up a bastion, and oh, what a bastion it was! They pounded away all the morning with canister, grape shot, and ball, but the face of the bastion defied them. They made no impression at all. They started again after dinner, bombarding as hard as they could, and the Duke brought his own private cannon, but that weren't a happen so good. The Duke said, Sam, put down the musket and help me lay this gun true. Sam answered, You'd best ask your favours for them as you give pudding to. The Duke like looked at Sam so reproachful, and don't take it that way, said he. Us generals have got to be ruthless. It hurts me more than it did thee. Sam sniffed at these words, kind of septic, then looked down the Duke's private gun and said, We'd best put in two charges. We'll never bust Bastion with one. He tipped cannonball out of muzzle. He took out the wadding and all. He filled barrel chock full of powder. Then picked up and replaced the ball. He took a good aim at Bastion and said, Right, or oh, joke, let her fly. The cannon nigh jumped off her trunnions and up went the Bastion sky high. The joke, he weren't half elated. He danced round trench full of glee. And said, Sam, for this gallant action, you cannot up your pudding for tea. Sam looked round to pick up his pudding, but it weren't there nowhere about. In the end where he thought he had left it, lay a cannonball he just dipped out. Sam saw in a flash what had happened, by an unprecedented mishap. The pudding his mother had sent him had blown by the jaws off map. That's why Fusiliers wear, to this moment, a badge which they think's a grenade. But they're wrong. It's a brass reproduction of the pudding Sam's mother once made. I feel the shadows now upon me And red angels beckon me Before I go Shaking hands and singing our song. 